0: I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. I am your host, Paige. Here's my coffee. Uh, in the beginning, coffee and low. It was very, very good. Uh, I apologize for having been gone for about a week, week and a half. I've been undergoing a an equipment transformation, if you will. Uh, getting my new microphone. I got a new platform that I'm learning to use, and um, I think it's going to be worth the effort. So, if the sound, if the audio sounds a little off today, please know that I'm working my way through this, but I, I didn't want to wait any longer before I got back into it. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, Judges chapter 9, post-Gideon. We've talked about Gideon, and the best place to start with this story is at the end of chapter 8, where it talks about what happened immediately after Gideon passed away, and um, and there's lots of lessons here. This is really, uh, the God is only mentioned twice in chapter 9. And uh, chapter 9 is a, I don't know if you'd call it a morality tra- tale, but it's a, uh, it's a story of what happens and demonstrates what's happened when man is left to his own devices without God's involvement. And it's not pretty. All right, so having said that, let's start here at chapter 9 or chapter 8, end of chapter 8, and then we're going to go into chapter 9 and read it, and then uh, I'll do what I always do. I will think with my mouth open. All right, let's get started. Let's see here, where are we? Yeah, there we are. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land had peace 40 years. So Gideon ruled for 40 years. Jerubbaal, son of Joash, went back home to live. That's Gideon. He had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. His concubine, who lived in Shechem, also bore him a son, whom he named Abimelech. Now, that's important. His concubine, basically a slave girl, who lived in Shechem, also bore him a son, whom he named Abimelech. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, in the oprah of the Ab- Abazur. <laughs> Abiezrites, Abiez writes, these names. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals, like they couldn't wait. But Gideon must have been something. He must have been a, a rather had a commanding personality because he kept this in check during his time of ruling over them. And But as soon as he died, they just jumped back at worshiping all these different Baals. They set up baal as their god and did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. They also failed to show any loyalty to the family of Jerubbaal that is Gideon in spite of all the good things he had done for them. He delivered his family delivered them from the Midianites. And how quickly they forgot. All right, chapter 9. Abimelech, son of Jerubbaal went to his mother's brothers in Shechem. Now, this is the son that he had by that slave girl concubine in Shechem. He lived where he lived and he had a girl out of town. And this is the son of that girl. And he said to them and all of his mother's clan, ask all the citizens of Shechem, what's better for you to have all 70 of Jeroboam's son rule over you or just one man? Remember, I am your flesh and blood. Now, Do you remember at the beginning when they were first starting to come into the promised land? God God had told them to move the Canaanites out, to totally displace the Canaanites. And they didn't do it. And now it's coming back. This is another example of coming back to bite them. Remember, I'm your flesh and blood. I'm a fellow Canaanite, basically is what he's saying. When the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech because they said, He's related to us. He's one of our own. They gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal-Bareth, and Abimelech used it to hire reckless scoundrels, mercenaries, who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Ophrah, and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Gideon, or Jerubbaal. Now, it's kind of interesting here, says they murdered them on one stone. It's almost like there was, this was an altar, and he sacrificed his half-brothers on this altar to a God who wasn't Jehovah. But Jotham, the youngest son of Gideon or Jeroboam, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Melo gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king. He got his wish. He became king. When Jotham was told about this, the youngest son of Gideon, he climbed up on top of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, Be our king. But the olive tree answered, Should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees? Next the tree said to the fig tree, Come, be our king. But the fig tree replied, Should I give up my fruit so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, Come and be our king. But the vine answered, Should I give up my vine, which cheers both gods and humans to hold sway over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to the thorn bush, Come, be our king. The thorn bush said to the trees, If you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Have you acted honorably and in good faith by making Abimelech king? Have you been fair to Jeroboam and his family? That's Gideon again. Have you treated him as he deserves? Remember that my father fought for you and risked his life to rescue you from the hand of Midian. But today you have revolted against my father's family. You have murdered his 70 sons on a single stone and have made Abimelech the son of his female slave, king over the citizens of Shechem because he's related to you. So, have you acted honorably and in good faith towards Jeroboam and his family today? If you have, may Abimelech be your joy and may you be his too. But if you have not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume you, the citizens of Shechem and Bethmelo, and let fire come out from you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth-melo, and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham fled, escaping to Beer. And he lived there because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. Apparently Abimelech was kind of a forceful personality as well. And now remember, he had this mercenary, arm, small mercenary army that he hired. After Abimelech had governed Israel three years, God stirred up animosity between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem. Oh, no, wait a minute. Didn't they just anoint him king? And after three years, there's problems between Shechem and Abimelech? And they acted treacherously against Abimelech. God did this in order that the crime against Jeroboam's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem who had helped him murder his brothers. In opposition to him, these citizens of Shechem set men on the hilltops to ambush and rob everyone who passed by. And this was reported to Abimelech. So pretty much chaos, anarchy reigned. Abimelech was supposedly king of this small area. Uh, and he couldn't control the people. After three years of his governance, the people either realized their mistake or I don't think there's any godliness involved here. Uh, they just started to rebel against him. They didn't like the way he ruled. And so they started an uprising against Abimelech. Now, Gael, son of Ebed, moved with his clan to Shechem, and its citizens put their confidence in him. After they had gone out in the fields and gathered the grapes and trodden them, they hailed a festival in the temple of their god, and while they were eating and drinking they cursed Abimelech. Gael son of Ibed said, Who's Abimelech? Why should we Shechemites be subject to him, subject to him? Isn't he Jerbaal's son? Isn't he Gideon's son? That you don't like? He's still the fruit of Gideon. That's what he's saying here. Isn't he Gideon's son, and isn't Zabel his deputy? Serve the family of Hamor, Shechem's father which is where he came from. Why should we serve Abimelech? If only this people were under my command, then I would get rid of him. I would say to Abimelech, call out your whole army. Now when Zebel, the governor of the city, heard what Gael Son of Ebed said, he was very, very angry. Remember, he's a, he's a deputy put in place by Abimelech. Under cover, he sent messages to Abimelech, saying, Gael, son of Ebed, and his clan have come to Shechem and are stirring up the city against you. Now then, during the night, you and your men should come and lie in wait in the fields. In the morning at sunrise, advance against the city. When Gael and his men come out against you, seize the opportunity to attack them. So Abimelech and all his troops set out by night and took up concealed positions near Shechem in four companies. Now Gael, son of Ibed, had gone out and was standing at the entrance of the city gate just as Abimelech and his troops came out from their hiding place. When Gael saw them, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. Zebul, Gideon, this is Abimelech's guy. He replied, Ah, you mistake the shadows of the mountains for men. But Gael spoke up again. Look, people are coming down from the central hill and a company is coming from the direction of the diviner's tree. Then Zebul said to him, Where's your big talk now, you who said, Who's Abimelech, that we should be subject to him? Aren't these the men you ridiculed? Go out and fight them. So Gael led out the citizens of Shechem and fought Abimelech. Now Abimelech chased him all the way to the entrance of the gate, and many were killed as they fled. Then Abimelech stayed at Aruma, and Zabel drove Gael and his clan out of Shechem. The next day, the people of Shechem went out to the fields. And this was reported to Abimelech. So he took his men, divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And when he saw the people coming out of the city, he rose to attack them. Now remember the city Shechem had turned on him. Abimelech and the companies with him rushed forward to a position at the entrance of the city gate. Then two companies attacked those in the field and struck them down. All that day, Abimelech pressed his attack against the city until he captured it and killed its people. Then he destroyed the city and scattered salt over it. On hearing this, the citizens in the tower of Shechem went into the stronghold of the temple of Elbereth. When Abimelech heard that they had assembled there, he and all his men went to Mount Simon. He took an axe and cut off some branches, which he lifted to his shoulders. He ordered the men with him, Quick, do what you've seen me do. So all the men cut branches and followed Abimelech. They piled them against the stronghold and set it on fire with the people still inside. So all the people in the tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women, also died. Next, Abimelech went to Thebes and besieged it and captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower to which all the men and women, all the people of the city, had fled. They had locked themselves in and climbed up on the tower roof. Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it, but as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Hurriedly, he called to his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me so that they can't say a woman killed him. So his servant ran him through and he died. And when the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the people of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. The curse of Jotham, son of Gideon, came on them. All right. Whew. Quite the story. Couple things that come that spring to mind for me right here. Um, the generation that followed Gideon, totally godless, no affinity with God whatsoever. They turned their back on the God of Gideon as soon as Gideon was gone. Which, the thought that occurs to me is that it's hinted that they followed the God of Gideon during Gideon's time, but as soon as Gideon was gone, they quit, which tells me that their faith was not real. Uh, If you truly believed in the God of Israel, would you so quickly turn to Baal the minute he was gone? Uh, You stop and think about it. Think about the people that were alive, when Gideon was alive, and then as soon as Gideon was dead, those same people turned to worship Baal. They had been worshiping God, or at least not worshiping Baal, but as soon as they had the opportunity, they went back to worshiping Baal. It's, uh How God's chosen people have fallen. I've worked with a pastor before, and I've said this before. You've heard it. Um, he said that there are two groups of people in the church. Those who show up every Sunday and then those who will still be there when the others fall away. It's like uh, the church visible and the church invisible. The church visible is everybody who shows up on a Sunday. Church invisible are those who are still there after the falling away has occurred. Um, the Bible talks in the New Testament about that there be a great falling away, a great uh, running away from the church and from God and what will be left will be the remnant. Well, that's the pattern that God has always had. There's always a remnant. Well, what happened in Gideon's time, he had enforced the rule of God, and then as soon as he's dead, people just rebounded away from God and went back to worshiping Baal, to the point that Gideon's sons from his marriages were killed on an altar, at least it appears to be an. altar. they killed, all of them killed in one stone. It was like a human sacrifice. And the the woman that he had on the side, as if the wives he had in his hometown weren't enough, he had a woman on the side in in Shechem, and she gave birth to a son, which is a half who is a half brother to his marriages' uh, sons. Um, I can't help but wonder if they had been treated as second-class citizens by Gideon's family. Um, they, I, I just, I'm just, i just sitting here thinking that uh, um, if he was, maybe perhaps he was called the bastard son of Gideon. I don't know. It just seems to me that there wasn't any love between Abimelech and his father. I don't even know if there's any relationship between Abimelech and Gideon. But I know that as soon as Gideon died, Abimelech comes to the front and kills off Gideon's brothers and assumes the mantle of leadership in that area. And again, this is a, a tale of this is what happens when man is left to his own devices. For three years, Abimelech ruled, and and it doesn't say that anything bad was going on. But after three years, they got they were tired of him. And they started rebelling against him and war broke out. And again, it it's just chaos, it's anarchy. This is what happens when God is left out of uh, when God is left out of the picture, um, and this is what's going to happen to any nation who actively rebels against God. Now, having said that, let me say this: I don't believe that a theocracy is the uh, answer to any nation. It's never worked. It didn't work in Israel. It's not working in Israel now. And a theocracy, uh, and the reason it won't work is because of man's nature. Man's nature, he's an enemy of a God. He's going to rebel against God. That's just what's going to happen. That's just what he does. And that's what we see happening here. The minute, minute Gideon died, they sprung Back towards Braille, and the picture is like it's it. It was like a a, almost like a sigh of relief. Oh, that's over with. Let's get back to Baal worship. I might be reading too much into it. I don't know, but I know this is a picture of man's nature. This is what man does. He rebels against God. And should the time come in America where the world in America turns against the church in a powerful way? Should the time ever come when our government attacks the church in a powerful way, there will be a great falling away. And the New Testament speaks of that. There will be a great falling away and the remnant will be left. Well, here we see an example of what happens when godlessness is in charge. And that's what will happen in the United States, and it's what will happen happens to any nation who turns its back on God. Now, again, I'm not saying theocracy is the is the answer, but whenever the church is allowed to live and prosper, the nation that allows it to live and prospers lives and prospers, in my observation, anyway. But whenever a nation starts clamping down on the church of God and destroying the church of God, then chaos and anarchy will eventually rule. For a very short time, Abimelech's rule was without rancor, without conflict. But within three years, the country around him, and even in his home city, they rebelled against him. That is the end game Of the enemy of our soul. He wants the church out of the way so that he can have his way. And what is his way? Does he want peace? No. Does he want, does he have a better system of governance? No. He thrives and lives on destruction. The enemy lives to steal and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy is what the New Testament says. And we see an example of that here with Abimelech. Abimelech self-promoted himself into kingship. And within three years, everything was upended again and he had to fight to keep his throne and eventually he lost it. He was killed by a woman who dropped a rock on his head. This is, to me, the lesson I'm pulling out of this is the importance of having a life centered on God. If you are in relationship with God, you will not run away from God. Like what we see happening here with Abimelech and all the other people who Gideon had ruled over. When Gideon was in charge, God was honored, at least to the best of my ability to see. And when Gideon was gone, they rushed back to doing the way things they always did, which tells me they weren't fond of what Gideon and his family stood for. That's always going to be the case, isn't it? The world really does not like who we are as believers and what we stand for. And should the time come when the world raises itself up against us, like Abimelech did against Gideon's sons, and they go to war against the sons and daughters of God, there will be a great falling away. And the falling away will be those who weren't really his to begin with. That's what we see happening here in this story of, of Judges. You know, Paul says in Romans that our nature is this way. it's uh, There's none that doeth good, not even one. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um... The wages of sin, therefore, is death. So death is the end game of our enemy. And that's the natural nature of man is to be an enemy of God, to fall short, to continue to sin, to go astray. That's our nature. And then Paul goes on to say, but who shall save me from this body of death? Because I know what I should do and I don't do it. I know what I shouldn't do and that's what I end up doing. That's the nature of man. Who will save me from this body of death? And what does Paul say? Glory be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. The only solution is relationship with God, not following a pattern of worship, not following a set of rules and regulations, but having relationship with him. What happened here after Gideon is a real picture of, of what will happen to this world should God be taken away from it. Should God remove himself from it? Should the world as a whole revolve and push God out as a whole? We see this, uh, uh, one of the thoughts in Christianity today about the rapture of the church is that there will come a time when God will pull his people out and the Holy Spirit will be removed from this earth. Now the Holy Spirit restrains pure evil. And when the Holy Spirit, the restraint is removed then evil is allowed unfettered access to the entire globe, to the entire world. And we see in the scripture that that is a very incredibly ugly time. Now, I'm not sure what I believe about the rapture of the church, to be honest. I mean, I've investigated it, I've talked about it, I've uh, studied it, and I'm still not sure that that's what the Bible teaches. But I am sure about this. When, the whole, when he which restrains is removed, that's the Holy Spirit, then evil will explode into the world. Should all believers in God be removed from the world? Should the Holy Spirit be removed from this world? This world will end up like what we see happening here in the story of Abimelech, when there's no God involved at all. Everything turns to war, death, destruction. We need relationship with God so that we don't fall part and parcel into a situation like this. Kind of random stuff, wandering around here, but that's me thinking with my mouth open. That's what it looks like. That's what it sounds like. And uh, you just saw how I think. Hmm. don't know if that's good or bad. Anyway, I'm Paige. Here's my coffee. Folks, I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.